0: Well, welcome, friends, to Crossview. My name is Brad Jackson, and we are at the end of a series that we're calling Advent Conspiracy. And uh, it's a series that many, many churches across the nation and world are doing. And the whole idea is that if the story of Jesus is true in the setting in which it was true, then how we live 2,000 years later should change a little bit. So uh, one of the cool things about a series like this is our kids have been doing the uh, same series in uh, Sunday school. So the first week, they looked at the idea of worshiping fully, and as we talked in big church, the idea is most every character in that first couple chapters of Luke that encounters the idea that God is coming down and becoming human, their first reaction is worship. Often falling on their knees, singing, saying it has to start with worship, that the life that we have comes from the God of the universe who actually comes down among us. The second week we talked about spending less and we got very practical. And the numbers you saw on the screen are $450 billion are spent in the U.S. at Christmas time. Average of $1,000 per family. What if, what if we spent 10% less and took that 10% and thought differently about it? Actually opened our hands and gave it away. Last week, Steve Weens was here and uh, did a great job talking about giving more, not giving more money, but giving more presents. If the God of the universe comes down and is fully present among us, what does it mean for us to relationally be fully present? And uh, the kids made these little boxes, and the idea is this would remind them of the different ways in which they can give at Christmas. And it's not just money, but there's many, many different ways. And then this morning, and I love this one, we will be auctioning this off for about $2 million after the service. Um, they're going to talk about loving all, just like we are. And uh, this is different handprints. And the beauty of it, turn around a little bit, do a little Vanna White. The beauty of it is they're intertwined. Each one's touching. And the sense is that to really love all the way we should, there has to be a connectedness. We have to reach out and do and touch. And uh, I think that is absolutely amazing. So one of the, the things that we want to invite the adults to do in your bulletin is this little sheet. And uh, we have been hearing many stories, but understand that, uh, especially as a staff team, we're only hearing a small portion of the stories and the ways that God is working in our community. So I want to encourage you to just jot down a story of how you have been uh, maybe move to do something as a result of this series. It doesn't have to be big. In fact, some of the best stories are the small little stories and the ways we're listening to God and following God. I, we were sitting with the uh, band and, and tech folks and, and speakers doing our run-through and prayer before the service, and Matt, the bass player, gets a text from his wife, and the text is uh, their two young daughters were uh, talking about bringing their money to uh, church for the kids' offering during... Uh, Kids Church. And um, they have a collection of money that I think is from their birthdays, right? And uh, the, the girls wanted to give not just a portion of it away, they wanted to give it all away. Naturally, mom in her wisdom said, go pray about that a little bit. Make sure that's really what God wants you to do. Um, but that, isn't that a great story? That's a little story of a brilliant story of five, six, seven-year-olds listening to God. And wanting to follow God and saying, if this story is actually true, then maybe we can live a little differently. We have said, and if you are new, number one, thank you for being here. Um, We are not trying to make anybody feel guilty about Christmas. I am all for traditions. I am all for the fact that every American, when they take their stocking on Sunday morning and pour it out, there should be a box of Lifesavers. Amen? You guys know that little box that opens up? I mean, that, that is God-ordained tradition that should happen. <laughs> there's cert, certain traditions that should... Last night, we, uh, we had some family down from the cities, and we decided to go check out the Sibley Park lights. But when we got to the top of Lookout and saw the 8 million mile line of cars heading into Sibley Park, the impatient Brad said, there's not a chance we're going and sitting in that line. So what we did is we did what I did growing up, is we just drove around a couple neighborhoods. And we looked at the lights and we had an amazing, amazing time with our kids. I am all for traditions. Enjoy, embrace, be together as families, be fully present. Um, I think traditions around this season. But we, my hope is that we start a new tradition. That as followers of Jesus, as a church, we would say during Advent, if the incarnation, if God becoming human is true, I want to live differently. I want that story to change the story that I'm living in the here and now. So this morning, we're going to talk about a big one. We're going to talk about loving all. Like, how do you actually position yourself into a reality where you could look out and say, I want to love all. And I believe in my heart of hearts that many of us are succeeding at it, that we're doing it very well, or at least that we want to. That the deepest desire in our heart is we want to love all. But the challenge is... And we've talked about it each week. The challenge is we have competing voices, competing kingdoms we've talked about, the kingdom of Herod, different things that buy our attention, that demand our attention, and then pull it away from the story of God, the way of Jesus. So that's why we've talked about conspiracies. First week we said yeah, a conspiracy is a scheme, it's a plan, it's, it's something that, that you're doing that's crazy, that's almost out of control, that loving awe That whole idea, I mean, that's nuts. Loving all could almost be impossible, right? That's starting to get a little bit crazy. So what I did to help us get there is I searched on uh, that thing called the Google. And uh, I found a site that had the craziest conspiracies of all time. Okay. So I want us to to think that if the Jesus story is true and we begin to conspire around it, we're going to do some nutty things, friends. Okay. So here's some of the craziest conspiracies of all time. Uh, there are people that believe Elvis is still alive. Anybody in here? Can I get a hand? I want to touch on all generations. So not, not only are there people that believe that Elvis is still alive, for those of you that you enjoyed 90s gangster rap, Tupac and Biggie. Raise your hand if you know who Tupac and Biggie are. It's a time of confession. Raise, keep it up if you listen to Tupac and Biggie, yeah? Okay. There's people that, I mean, literally... There are people who are staking their lives and they're scheming around the fact that those three people are still alive. I couldn't find a current one, so teens, I apologize. Um, There are conspiracy theories around 9-11. Who did it? How it happened? There's conspiracy theories around JFK, the moon landing. I mean, there's conspiracy people that, that really invest thought and time and research into things. The number one conspiracy of all time, and listen, this is amazing. Number one conspiracy of all time is that the Vikings would one day beat the Broncos in a Super Bowl. (laughs) It's definitely a conspiracy, friends. For those of you that are new, I'm a Bronco fan, so. Uh, But a conspiracy, it's like, it's, it's so big and enormous that could it actually happen? And I believe and I hope as we look at Matthew 1 this morning, and we see the conspiracy of Jesus coming to be among us. That maybe we would think a little bit more about some crazy things that we could do to love all, to look out and actually love all. So let me pray before we jump in the word. Got it. I think one of my favorite things to do at church is to laugh with my brother and sisters. No matter what we bring here, pain, sorrow, story of hardship, joy, celebration, God, we, uh, we do it together. And so, Lord, we thank you for this gift of worship. And as we together get into your word, I pray that you would speak to each one as you see fit. In your name and all God's people said. So I am not going to read the first 17 verses of Matthew 1. If every you Bible is open them up to Matthew 1. If not, it will be on the screen. But I want to talk to you. Often, if you've ever done the read through the Bible in a year, when you get to a genealogy, it's like, thank God, this is a fast page. Read down through it real quick. Pronounce the names you can. Turn the page. But here's one of the cool things. Genealogies are in the Bible for a reason. They help tell the story of God. And the genealogy in Matthew 1 is there for a reason. Often, if you, if you put your family list together, Of like, who was an important leading to the most important person, which maybe you would put you as the most important person in the history of your family. If so, we have a narcissism help group after this. Um, But this is what this is. This this is a genealogy, the line leading up to Jesus, the Savior of the world. You would only put the rock stars in, right? Right? You would put David, you would put Solomon, you would put Abraham. You would only put the people who really mattered, who shone, who were maybe, might throw a prince in there, but definitely all the kings. Here's the crazy thing about the desperate housewife's version of the genealogy here. And that's what it is. Included are people you shouldn't include. First century, number one, they're women. For the writer of Matthew to include women is Revolutionary. To say they hold an important role in the story of God in the ultimate plan of redemption is huge. But number two, think about who they are, and this, t- excluding Mary, there's four women referred to in this genealogy one is uh, Tamar, one is Rahab, second one's Rahab, Ruth, and then Bathsheba. And Bathsheba's referred to, not, not mentioned, but she's actually referred to in this. And so think about these four women uh, Tamar. Posing as a prostitute gets her father-in-law to impregnate her so that she can uh, provide a child for a husband. Not normally a story you would include, right? That's not like one of the good stories. Rahab. Rahab's a prostitute. She harbors the spies, Joshua, who come to look at the city to see if they they could actually have a chance. So she's a prostitute harboring spies. Another one that eh, maybe leave out. Then we have Ruth. Ruth seeks out Boaz in hope that he will marry her to save her from both widowhood and being a foreigner. Like her focus is just that one thing. It's a great story in the Old Testament. And then lastly, Bathsheba is referred to. Bathsheba is the one who has an affair with David. David ultimately kills her husband and their child, Solomon, who she works so hard to make sure he becomes king. This is not the normal storyline genealogy you put together to lead into the king of kings. It includes people on the outside. It includes people on the fringes. It includes people who we wouldn't have over for dinner. And not only does it include them at the end of the day, they are ultimately part of God's plan of salvation. But maybe the story is a little different than we think. And so out of that, we come to the second half of this chapter. Let's read starting in verse 18. So with that, think keep that in mind, that genealogy of who has included it, that, that it's people that we normally wouldn't include. We come to verse 18 says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. Remember, Jesus Christ literally means King Jesus. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be a child through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had a mind to divorce her quietly. We've heard this year in, year out, but where the marriage is at this point, it's like a virtual marriage. It's sort of happening, but not quite happening. They're married, but not fully married, enjoying all the benefits of what marriage would be. And usually what happens, that timing is completely dependent on how big the dowry is, how, how much money's coming to the table. So in there, they're in this in-between time, and it's found out that Mary's pregnant. And see, here's the interesting thing. If Joseph's a faithful Jew, his most righteous, his most just plan of action is to go back to Old Testament law and have her stoned. Like that's what she deserved. And the word justice is used here. And often we hear the word justice. And when we hear the word justice, we think about being right whether it's a social issue or a relational issue, whatever it might be, when we hear justice about being right, and it's intriguing here that uh, Joseph is called just. Righteous means just. He's called just because of what he does. That already, and we're going to see how he even begins to act more different, already he acts in a different sort of way. Instead of doing the thing that probably should have been done, at least in that society, and at least under the law, he begins to think a different way. And that brings us down to verse 20. It says this. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said to Joseph, son of David, this is so good, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save His people from their sins. Do not be afraid. It's a command repeated time and time again in Scripture. It's the very words when Jesus rises, has died and risen from the dead, and he comes into the upper room, and the disciples are cowering in fear. What does he say? Fear not. Peace be with you. The very presence of Jesus Christ is a command time and time again to fear not. And the whole point of this is, the whole point of what happens here with Joseph is, don't be afraid, enter into it. I know it doesn't make sense, pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Can, I mean, Can we just say that that's like, Joseph hearing that, that's big news, right? And the invitation is to enter in. Don't be afraid, enter in. I think in the story of loving all and the story of God that that is so important. I have a friend up in the Twin Cities, a guy named Jeff Calmetto. Jeff is the pastor of Calvary Baptist in the Whittier neighborhood, a really cool, diverse neighborhood just south of downtown Minneapolis. And Jeff, 25, 30 years ago, was brought into this little church. And about 20 elderly people in the church, and uh, their invitation was come in and pastor us and just help the church die. We don't want you to do anything crazy. Just help us die. Which, I mean, what a great invitation for a young pastor right out of seminary, right? Church growth? Yeah. And uh, so Jeff comes in, and Jeff is just a crazy, crazy dude. And 25, 30 years later, there is a vibrant worshiping community changing their neighborhood. And one of my favorite things about this church, one of my favorite things about Jeff, is every Sunday afternoon after church, they feed about 100 to 150 homeless people. Men and women. Not only do they feed them, they wash their feet. But here's my favorite part of it. My wife and kids, we've gone up there and helped prepare and serve the meal. My favorite part is Jeff. Because if you watch Jeff, mid-50s probably now, every Sunday, and he's a good friend and we've chatted about every Sunday he just walks around to the tables. He's like, Brad, I, I don't know what I can do other than just get to know their name. And in my mind, and I watch it, that is absolutely amazing that he enters in, sits at their table, and gets to know their name. Where most of us, and trust me, you stand on the outside of that room and you look at it, and there's a fear inside of like, I don't know them; they're different than me. Uh, why are they in this place? All these things running through your head, and Jeff just says, "I can sit with them and get to know their name." Don't be afraid. Enter into the story that God has for you. Let's keep reading. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This may be my favorite part of the whole Jesus narrative, the whole of the Gospels. Emmanuel, God with us. Isn't that amazing? John 1 14, the word became human. As Eugene Eugene Peterson says, and moved into our neighborhood. God comes down to be among us. The great theologian Karl Barth says, Emmanuel simply means grace. If you want to get an understanding of what grace is, think about the fact that God's rescue plan was not just to destroy and burn and start again. God's rescue plan is to come down among us. Emmanuel, God with us. It's what the early church, Philippians 2, 5-11, one of my favorite passages. This is one of the hymns of the early church. Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. The name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God with us. It's one of the most beautiful parts of the Jesus story, if you ask me. It's almost like if a parent had a child who were blind and decided to become blind so they could glimpse and sense a part of what their child was going through. That starts to get at the God of the universe becoming human. Coming down to be among us. Let's keep reading. Verse 24 and 25. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Isn't that good? This is a crazy story, guys. Joseph, I mean, Joseph has to be in a, a little bit of disarray of what's going on. And I know an angel appeared to me, but this is still, this is crazy. He obeys God. He obeys God. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. So this week, as I've been sitting with this and reading it time and time again, there's a verse that it's a verse we all know that just keeps coming to my mind time and time again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved the world. You look at the story, you look at the genealogy, you look what's happening here. And it's the God of the universe entering fully in so that all, I'm going to say it time and time again, so that all could be loved. So how do we, in 2013, start to conspire around this? Start to start to think a little differently around this? I think the first thing is, is this. You've got to start by asking for love got to start by asking for love. And I know that this seems basic. and It, is, it seems like well, we talk about this a lot, but here, here's the thing. If you or I try to do this whole thing of loving all and even going back to giving more presence and being there relationally and, and spending less, if we try to do these things on our own, at least for me, here's where I end up. If I try, and, if I try as hard as I can to love all, I'll do one of two things. One is, if I succeed, I will celebrate as though I'm the king of the universe, right? If on my power I succeed, I become king. I will be the most prideful. And I might cover it with some sort of false humility, but it'll be about me. It'll be about my success, what happened. If I fell, if I fell at loving all, I give up. If I try as hard as I can to love all and for some reason it doesn't happen, people don't join in, I can't convince you to, screw it. It's not going to happen. I give up. It's not worth it. So the invitation to love all means this. If I do not love with the grace of Jesus Christ that has changed and transformed my life, I will not be able to love at all. I think I've told you this story before a couple, of, a few years ago. Just going through it, just a lot going on. I spent a year with a spiritual life coach. And in a really cool but uncomfortable for a classic guy sort of way, uh, we uncovered a lot of the places where I was leading and relating from. And one is my understanding of God was really built around shame was built around this angry God who who wanted me just to do the right thing and not around a God that would actually love me. So each day I would start on my way to work by simply saying, God, help me to do everything, to lead, to do whatever I do today out of your love. Because apart from it, it's not going to be good. So we start with love, by asking for, inviting in the love of God. And here's the crazy thing. If you ask for God's love, do you know what kind of love you're going to get? This is is warning. I mean, seriously, this is warning time. If you ask for the love of God, you're going to get what? God's love. And here's the thing in Scripture is God's love tends to move into places where we don't normally go. God's love tends to move into places where we don't normally like to go, where we're comfortable going. God tends to love those who don't get a chance. God tends to love those who are on the outside. God tends to include in genealogies pointing towards the king of the universe that there are women who maybe shouldn't normally be included are now included. If you ask for the love of God, you're going to be invited into a very good but uncomfortable place. A couple of years ago, I saw this um, uh, talk that Bono of U2, once again, who knows Bono of U2? I, gotta, I love all the different generations represented at Crossview. It's, always, it's hard at times to get all of it represented. But Bono, in a uh, speech he gave to the NAACP, NAACP in 2008, uh, I want to read part of this speech. Yeah, because I think it gets at what the love of God would actually do in us if we invited it in. And some of us have sat in church a long time, and I don't think really realize what it is. So this is from a speech Bono gave in 2008. Says this, true religion will not let us fall asleep in the comfort of our freedom. Love thy neighbor is not a piece of advice, it's a command. And that means in the global village that we're going to have to start loving a whole lot more people. That's what it means. His truth is marching on. Because when you live because where you live should not decide whether you live or whether you die. And to those in the church who stand in judgment on the AIDS emergency, let me climb in the pulpit for just one moment. Because whatever thoughts we have about God or who he is or whether he even exists, most will agree that God is a special place for the poor. The poor are where God lives. God lives in the slums and the cardboard boxes where the poor playhouse. God is where the opportunity is lost, where lives are shattered. God is with the mother who's infected the child that will take both of their lives. God is under the rubble and the cries we hear during wartime. God, my friends, is with the poor. And God is with us if we are with them. This is not a burden. This is an adventure. And don't let anyone tell you that it cannot be done. We can be the generation that ends extreme poverty. I think if we look at the God of scriptures, God is with you, friends. God is with your brokenness. God is with your family. God is with your neighborhood. But time and time and time again in Scripture, we find that the God we worship is with people who are often left out, the least in the left behind. There's this great tweet on a relevant magazine this week that said this, too often we trade God with us for God like us. is that good? Too often we trade God with us for God like us. It's easy to love the people that look like us. It's hard to love the people that we don't see or the people we tend to judge. So you ask for God's love. Second thing is this. Another just very practical thing. Move towards others. Friends, move. I wrote in parenthesis just for my sort of spiritual formation. Do something. If If you have invited the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ into your life, you are compelled to do something. To move towards others. Mother Teresa put it this way. She said, the problem with the world is that we draw our family circle too small. What if we open our eyes and look out and we try and see through the eyes of Jesus that God truly does love all? You know what's interesting in the Gospels? Do you know you want to know who God judges? Who God makes social statements on? It's not the prostitute, it's not the sinner. It's not the tax collector. In fact, he invites them to the party. It's the religious elite that are leaving others out. We serve a God that loves all, that moves towards all. For God so loved the world. No caveats, no categories. I mean, what, what if we were known by the fact, what if people just said, Cros- Crossview just loves people. They're not making statements on who, if, and, or but. They, they just love people. The love of God will move us towards others. Like what Karl Barth said, he said, by loving another person, we see the potential in them. By loving that person, we enable them to make that potential a reality. Who is God loving you to love? Let me say that again because I think it's important. Who is God loving you to love? It may be your neighborhood, it may be someone at school, teens, it may be sitting at a table you don't normally to let someone know that they're actually valued. It may be homeless teens in Mankato through reach. It may be buying an animal for a family in the Congo that will change their lives. Or sponsoring a kid to go to school at Alaska Christian College, and trust me, without us, they don't get a chance at life, most likely become an alcoholic. No chance. Who is God loving you to love? saw a prayer this week that I want to end with. We're going to end the same as last week. We're not going to have a closing song. I, my, my hope and prayer is that you walk out with your heart just sort of beating with this. Ready to talk about it. Ready to be uncomfortable. Marion Wright Edelman, who's president of the Children's Defense Fund, wrote this prayer. And it's about in four children, but I hope and pray it helps us just move out as people who are called and invited by Jesus Christ. To love all, You can read it on the screen, or you can uh, close your eyes, and I'm going to read it over us. O oh God, of the children of Somalia, Sudan, and Syria, of South Africa and South Carolina, of Afghanistan and Pakistan, and of India, Iraq, Iran, and Israel, of the Congo and Chicago, of Darfur and Detroit, of Myanmar and Mississippi and Louisiana and Yemen, Help us to love and respect and protect them all. O God of black and brown and white and albino children, and those all mixed together, of children who are rich and poor and in between, of children who speak English and Russian and Hmong and Spanish in languages our ears cannot discern, help us to love and respect and protect them all. O God of the child prodigy and the child prostitute, of the child of rapture and the child of rape, of runaway or thrown away children who struggle every day without parent or place or friend or future, help us to love and respect and protect them all. O God of children who can walk and talk and hear and see and sing and dance and jump and play and of children who wish they could but can't, of children who are loved and unloved, wanted and unwanted. Help us to love and respect and protect them all. O God of beggar, beaten, abused, neglected, homeless, AIDS, drugs, violence, and hunger ravaged children, of children who are emotionally and physically and mentally fragile, and of children who rebel and ridicule, torment and taunt, help us to love and respect and protect them all. O God, of children of destiny and of despair, of war and of peace, of disfigured, diseased, and dying children, of children without hope and of children with hope, despair, and to share, help us to love and respect and act to protect them all. Gracious Father, I pray, Lord, as your followers, I pray that your love would move and compel us to go out and be your hands and feet, that you would give us eyes to see, words to say, so, Lord, people could know that you love. In our neighborhood, our schools, our workplaces, our city, God, people without during the season, I pray that we would be the ones that give them a sense of hope. with the power of your spirit, for your ultimate honor and glory. I pray in your name. Amen. Please stand. Friends, if something has moved in you and you want or need prayer underneath the cross, we'll have some servants that would love to pray with you. And I want to remind you, please, if you have a story, if you're sitting there wondering if it's worth it, um, it's intriguing in the way of Jesus, story in the gospel is what it's about, right? Story after story. Your little story can help encourage someone else to act in the way of Jesus. So friends, go in the grace and peace of Jesus Christ, loving all with the love of Jesus. Go in peace.